because the listeners want to get their opinion in too. This is MuggleCast episode 237 for August 7th, 2011. This week's episode is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audio entertainment, providing digital versions of over 85,000 audiobooks for download to your computer, iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, and iPod. For a free audiobook of your choice and to get two free tickets to the help when you purchase the audiobook or sign up for a gold membership, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. And by Hypable.com a brand new entertainment website created by the staff of MuggleNet. Hypable is a MuggleNet for multiple fandoms, passionate, complete coverage for all the fandoms that we cover. Now with over 40 fandoms including Glee, True Blood, Breaking Bad, The Hobbit, Doctor Who, Merlin, and many more. Visit Hypable.com for news coverage you can count on. That's Hypable.com, H-Y-P-A-B-L-E.com. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 237. It's a surprise show. Because because we just couldn't stop talking Harry Potter. And uh, Matt is on the show this week. Hello, Matt. Hey, guys. And I think this is your first time talking about Deathly Hallows Part 2 on MuggleCast, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I guess it, yeah, it wait, is. Wait, wait, wait. What other podcast would he have talked about it on? No, I'm just saying his... Oh. His, it's my debut return since oh, the release. Okay. Actually, I thought maybe maybe he moved on to bigger and better things. <laughs> he did actually <laughs> mention it on hype the other day, but that was it. We talked briefly, but uh, at any rate, uh, we, we're doing the show. It's this show will mostly consist of listener feedback because we've obviously gotten a ton of emails about the about the movie, and we haven't really read any of them yet. So that's what this episode is about. And we'll still have another episode at the end of August, like we mentioned on the last episode. And that one, hopefully, will be pretty much all Pottermore, because by that time, it it should be open to most of the beta people. Uh, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot to talk about once that opens up. But first, the news. Micah, what's going on? Just, uh, maybe mostly Deathly Hallows Part 2, uh, is continuing its surge at the box office. It actually opened in China yesterday, so I know that they're hoping that those numbers, uh, boost, uh, the movie even further up the charts in terms of where it stands all time. I know it's currently, as of today, number six. It just moved past both Alice in Wonderland and Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Nice. Um, Thank you. Thank God, those newbie movies. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, uh, on Stranger Tides is still in theaters, but uh, it's it's been out for a while now, so I don't think it's going to uh, give Hollows any sort of run for its money. Absolutely not. You know, in a sort of related story, Transformers became the tenth film to hit uh, one billion worldwide just the other day. And I'm the just, first one, you mean? No, no, the third one, the oh, one that's okay. out now, um, became the tenth film to reach one billion. And I, I just that blew my mind. I mean, like, and th- that's three films that this year out of the ten yeah. total. Yeah, it's it it's 3D ticket sales. It it has Higher to be. Prices. They're, they're pushing them. They're pushing them into this bracket of a billion, which was previously very difficult to reach. Right. Um. It doesn't mean it's a good movie. I mean, the fourth Pirates really that uh, you know was really was a contender. Deathly Hallows two had to compete with that. I I just and and not like in the first week either. This is this is five six weeks later, right? Yeah. That it's just knocking that aside. So. I mean, I thought the movie was fine, the Pirates Four, but but not billions of, and then not what I would think is as being one of the top grossing films of all time. Yeah, I mean, right now it stands twenty five million behind Toy Story Three and twenty eight million behind Pirates of the Caribbean: Dead Man's Chest. So, I would think within the next day or two, it's going to be up to number four, just because the with the weekend, you know, a few days away. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's easily going to make another thirty million dollars. So what are the remaining four then? Did you say? Um, well, Avatar is number one. Uh, Titanic is number two, and number three is The Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King. Yeah. What else is going on in the news? Uh, only other bit of news uh, has to deal with uh, the Oscars and uh, 
somebody over at WB released a statement, and they didn't say who it was, but a lot of uh, entertainment websites reporting that WB will absolutely hands down across the board, sounds like something Emerson would say, uh, <laughs> push Deathly Hallows Part 2 for Best Picture nomination. And uh, we figured it, it would uh, rack up some nominations, possibly for the score, possibly for art direction, possibly for visual effects, but it does look like uh, they're going to try and get at least a nomination out of it. I don't know that it would win. You well, know, we drove by um, Warner Brothers Studios today, uh, me and Matt, and they have this giant poster up for Deathly Hallows Part 2, and it says, um, top gro- weekend grossing film of all time, and then it has like 10 reviews on the poster. This is a giant poster. <laughs> and I feel like the reason they have that up there, right by their studio, is A, they're proud, but B... They want the other, you know, people, the, they want the people in the academy to, you know, be driving by that on, on this very busy road in the, in the studio area, you know, seeing that and giving Harry Potter good thoughts. So that's an early sign of a, of a big push. Yeah. And interesting. I, I don't blame them that they want to, you know, they, they want it. They want well, it finally. Give it well, to them. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the new, uh, under the new academy rules, there are 10 nominees for best picture. As opposed to, right. weren't there just four or five a couple of years ago? So I guess that seems reasonable. I mean, to, to, to be one of ten films considered for that category, but um, you know, just I guess in previous years, I, I don't know. There's always there's always those art films though that are really like like Tree of Life that are all just the 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 vision is so uh, deep and and human. You know, that it's like it completely trumps other films that are actually, you know, like this one's a fantasy book right. or based off of a fantasy novel. So it, it just seems like, uh, for best picture, it might, I, I think it'll have to, it'll have to make some strides, I think. Mm-hmm. But what, yeah, when you, what's unique about this film is the battle, I think, you know, just being so long and so epic that I think it could be a potential best picture, uh, candidate. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it I mean, for me, like, The Lord of the Rings The Return of the King won 11 Academy Awards, and I think mainly because of all the awards they won was mainly because they didn't win any rewards previously, and I think they kind of did a whole encompassing of all three movies and awarded it to Return of the King. Because, yeah, I think, I I mean, in my opinion, Return of the King wasn't my, my, my favorite at all, and I don't think it was the best of the, the series, but I definitely think that they deserved the awards they got. And so yeah. I think they may put into consideration all the Harry Potter films and what it's achieved and how, in uh, you know, the whole series as a film kind of thing, you know, like, like the best franchise. I mean, it is, it's the well, top grossing franchise ever. Well, there is that, you know, the, the amount of money that, that the, the series has made, uh, speaks for itself. But also, I mean, in Britain at the BAFTAs, the, they've already received, you know, the lifetime, uh, award, the, the, uh, achievement to British film award, which JK Rowling and, and David Heyman, you know, accepted on stage. We've seen these films in the series, like the, all of these film adaptations have won big in Britain's, you know, some very distinguished awards. Now it's not best picture. Um, but even if, the films don't win Best Picture. I do think that they have been, uh, you know, respected in 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 the film world, at least in Britain. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree with everything that's being said, and and I think that if you look at the the top films that we were just talking about, you know, on the all time list, Avatar won a ton of awards, didn't win Best Picture. Uh, Titanic obviously won a bunch of awards, won Best Picture. Lord of the Rings: Return of the King won a ton of awards and won Best Picture. So it's it's just how can you be in that category of, of movies and not receive anything? You know, it's funny when you say that. Anything. They haven't won anything. It makes it seem like money is what drives the awards. It really does, right? It's in the Academy's best interest to have the highest grossing films of all time of win course. Best Picture. Oh, it's been like that for but, a long time. But, I mean, I there, there's always like those before. films that even though they don't, you make millions and millions of dollars in the box office. It's it's almost impossible not to overlook the film. Kind of like how the King's Speech won. Like it didn't win. It didn't get that much money in the box office, but it was just so widely acclaimed that it it there there was no way around it. It was the best picture of the year. Well, I was happy. I liked that movie. Before we continue, we'd like to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Audible.com the Internet's leading provider of spoken audio entertainment. Content from Audible is downloaded and played back on personal computers, CDs, or iPods. 
Today, we have a special offer for you. Get two free tickets to see The Help coming to theaters August 10th when you purchase the audiobook or a Audible.com discount gold membership today, only through our special link, audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast to get your free movie tickets today. We love Audible and know that you will too. We thank them for their support of MuggleCast. So that's it for the news, you know, short news period, but we're also going to talk about two big stories that just won't end. Um, first up, Pottermore. And actually, we have an email here. I want to address that first before we get into <laughs> the other stuff. This is from Casey Hanley, 29 of Dayton, Ohio. Wow, what a bunch of jaded, grumpy old men you've become. I've been listening to you guys from the very beginning, and usually I enjoy your show, but every now and then you put out one that just annoys me. I don't particularly like listening to all you moan and groan for 20 minutes. Okay, there were some website problems, but in the future, this listener would appreciate it if you kept the whining to a minimum. Five years ago, I think the inner child in all of you would have loved the hunt for the magical quill. It's just like Joe's website, all part of the magic and mystery that she loves to weave. Now you just want to be spoon-fed the answers so you can get access as soon as possible. If that's your attitude, maybe you don't deserve early access to the site. I guess you've just lost some of that initial wonder that surrounds the series. Um, also, just to correct you, the initial Pottermore email sign-up was never an early access guarantee. As it says on the insider.pottermore.com blog, everyone who submitted their email address between 23rd June and 31st July will be contacted to let them know when registration opens to all for entry in October. This will be after the Magical Quill Challenge has finished, uh, blah, blah, blah. Perhaps a little background research before recording the show would also be helpful. I don't mean to sound too negative. As long as you keep podcasting, I'll keep listening. But you say you appreciate feedback, so there's my two cents. It's more like 25 cents than two. Well, she's right, or he. Um, I think, you know, we were negative, but here's the thing. Uh, my issue was getting up at, you know, 1 a.m., and so maybe that means I don't deserve to get into the beta period, but it's part of our job to be sharing the news with fans. Um, and also I was just speaking from a fan perspective. I know a lot of fans really wanted to, you know, had no problem with it, but some fans did some fans. And I, I, I hate to say this, but people, you know, <laughs> who are very, have busy lives do not have time to sit around on Pottermore.com waiting for. An invite. And in that case, maybe they don't deserve the beta period. Right. I'm going to be the first person to admit that I made a web vlog even that said, you know, my, my feelings about this, which were that, you know, I, I, I didn't want to work. Hey, you're an old man on the porch. I, I'm an old man on the porch. That's but scary. No, really, what I did that? say that. And I do, I do kind of feel that way. This magic quill challenge to me sounded last minute. Or it didn't sound like the initial plan. And so on this website, which Casey points out, uh, on the Insider Pottermore blog, it does say that, uh, the, the reason why people first submitted their email. But if you look on that page, it's the last item on the page. I don't know at what date that was added there, but it feels like because it's an FAQ page, it feels like they can add as they go. And I think only the other day did I just see this where it finally explained, oh, the email address wasn't for early access. Right. It was to be notified when registration opens. You know, whatever. That is, but, the, but I did misunderstand it. And so I thought we were supposed to get something different. Now, as, as to Casey's, you know, statement about, you know, the inner child, you know, will have been really excited to, to, to work for this and figure out these clues. I, I do agree that, that perhaps some of that innocence lost, uh, at least for me, um, because I do feel kind of, I, you know, I understand what they're saying, right? We should be, uh, we should just love JK Rowling to the end of the world because she's so clever. Um, and this uh -huh. is the way she does things, but well, I, I do, well, this I do is actually feel different. Old. This is not go the, okay, yeah. go ahead, Micah. No, oh, no. It, what I was going to say is just that it, I don't think, I know Eric, you did, but, but I don't think all of us, the rest of us that were on the show last week had a problem with having to, you know, do a puzzle to essentially gain access to registering early for Pottermore. I think that was expected. That's what JK Rowling has always done with you know, titles for the book or names of chapters or release dates. It's never been easy. It's always been fun and, and, you know, to try and go out there and to solve the riddle essentially. And I think what most of us were talking about on the last show was just that they had so many problems with their website and I don't think they communicated things 
uh, in the best manner that they possibly could. And, and I would say that we actually got more emails or more tweets and responses um, not liking how Pottermore was set up as opposed to what Casey sent it. That's good to know. But Casey does bring up good points. They are, yeah. you know, appreciated. And yes, we do appreciate the feedback. Um, you know, I, you know, back to the inner child thing, I, I do like what they're doing. It's certainly more exciting than just submitting your email and being done with it. It is classic JK Rowling, classic Harry Potter excitement. And they did a good job in that regard. It's just the, the, the timing is what kind of upset me. Um, again, I didn't want to wake up early, but th- that's come, that comes with the, with the mug on a job. So well, I shouldn't complain. Well, the- <laughs> Here's the thing, though, actually, that bothered us. I, I misspoke before. It was people making multiple accounts. That's the one thing we were complaining oh, yeah. most oh, about, me? I think, on the that last show. That annoys the hell yeah, out well, of me. Double, double dipping. Dip. Yeah. <laughs> put double it. No way. But this is different, though. Um, I, in my opinion, from what I did on J.K. Rowling's website when she was doing like the books, the, the, the names and stuff of all the, the clues and stuff, we do love... We, we love doing the, um, the little, you know, hide and seek game on her website, but none of that was timed either. Like we had yeah, only a certain true. window to get this done. And that is not what the fans are used to. We, we love to, ha- to just have fun with it. We don't, okay, you have 30 minutes to get this done. If you don't get it, then maybe next time. That's very true. This is this, cause this is all about now. Do you guys agree with what I, uh, Maybe I tweeted about it. I don't think I mentioned it on the show, but, but basically the, the reason this is all timed is, is for bandwidth issues, right? I mean, if you still go on Pottermore, um, dot com, you can get like this waiting 15 seconds to reload page because they're trying to accommodate the, the high volume of, of people trying to get into the beta testing. So is that why they only have this two hour window? Each of these days, yeah, I th- you know, with, think, with a limit. I think you're right. I mean, they, they don't want, but the thing is, is that they should have put into a, uh, in consideration of how big and how many people will want to do this. Well, and, it's Pottermore. I know, of course, it's Pottermore, but shouldn't they at least allow whoever wants to be a beta tester in it? Or do they, or, or no, they need to limit it. They need to limit it because, you know, for server reasons and whatnot. So, so it's anyway. Well, beta testing makes sense anyway. I mean, this is just, this is beta testing, right? Right. So stuff you see, this is the other thing is stuff you see during the beta test won't necessarily make it into the actual Pottermore, right? No, well, it'll all be there. They're just trying to figure out different, certain little minor behind the scenes things. That's what really this is about. Yeah, I'm kind of confused as to that. So, Eric, you have a username now, and Micah. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I have, but you're not revealing. Actually, I have more than. Uh, well, yeah, I'll reveal the one. Okay, so I was I um, couldn't make the first three sign up days, and the fourth sign up day, uh, it was actually during American time, right? During a time that worked for right. a majority of the Americans. Was it nine a.m. between nine and two um, Central Time the other day? So on day four, and that was really, really exciting. But it turns out, again, I was going to miss it because I was in flight to uh, Las Vegas, where I am now. But anyway, um, I had a few friends uh, just kind of, uh, you know, go on while I was in the uh, in the air. Uh, they had volunteered to. Uh, you so know, what? Name what name? In. Come on. My username is Star Nettle Forty Two. That's cute. Micah, how about you? I. Uh... Um, well, I don't have as long of an explanation um, as, as Eric. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, w- I woke up, uh, what was it, the third day? It was about at 6 a.m. that it went live. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up with uh, Shadow Spell 93. That's Ooh, cool. That's mysterious. Yeah. Eric's is cute. Yours is cool. I was asleep. Andrew made one for me. What's yours again? Thorn Spell 33. I like that. I mean, I picked it, but I like it. Thorn Spell. <laughs> And mine's Castle Cloak. Um, I'm just going with that one now. I'm sticking with it. You know, I, I had um, had the option, obviously, you know, we reviewed these other options we have. One of them, the usernames I really like, but it was kind of a female name. It was Echo Queen. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that, that Queen suggests you're a female. So I didn't, I didn't, I was, I didn't go with Echo Queen. But. And, you know, in terms of the process getting easier for people to get beta signups, today's, uh, the day we're recording Thursday, it was open for about an hour, but yesterday's, Wednesday's, was only about a half hour. So, so are we, are we crotchety old men? No, well, here? you know, I had some complaints and I was partially just doing that to make a funny story out of it. And that's what you're going to get from me. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I think you I need to, to explain like, yourself. No, not at all, Andrew. Good. 
let's move on then. Again, this is going to be a shorter show than than uh, a normal one. We're going to get through some emails now about Deathly Hallows Part 2 and some tweets. And that'll be pretty much it. Micah, can you read the first one? Yeah, first email comes from Rachel19 of San Diego, and she says, As an obsessed fan of the series, I love the movie, yet there were parts that I wish were different. For one, I liked how McGonagall and Snake duel in the Great Hall, but I think I'd prefer if they stuck to the way they showed it in the book. The scene between the Carrows could have been neat, yet I did enjoy it nonetheless. McGonagall's sentiment towards Harry uh, was always a part where I choked up. I thought Maggie Smith did an excellent job in this movie. Uh, they probably should have mentioned why exactly Hagrid was tied up with Voldemort, uh, because people who don't read the books would have been lost. This is just me being picky, but there were two parts where I was like, why aren't you wearing the invisibility cloak, uh, which were in Hogsmeade and the Shrieking Shack. And during Snape's death, it would have been cool if they made the sil- silvery substance of memories come from other parts of his face, as mentioned in the book. I know the budget for house elves is, ex- is expensive. Wow, she's just going off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but what I, I would have loved for a scene uh, with the elves from the kitchen. That's also a really cute scene for Hermione and Ron's kiss. Uh, those were the things I was picky about, but overall I loved it, and I love it even more every time I watch it again. I think the reason why the house elves may not have been considered is because they weren't it, considered at all. Well, right, they, they have never been introduced. considered in films for a while. I mean, not really since Chamber of Secrets. Uh, you know, there's that Easter egg one in Goblet of Fire, but they they just, you know, they've been forgotten really. Although they had the Cornish Pixies, so <laughs> Yeah, yeah, look at that. Well, the uh the elves were just not introduced, you know. You can see 150 elves carrying pots and pans coming from Hogwarts, but Without that introduction of them going to the kitchens and Goblet of Fire, yeah, you don't know anything. It's about not going to mean anything. It's just going to be what else is going on. It's crazy. Like for instance, uh, Hagrid, and, you know, being tied up in the woods. I accept that he's there. At some point, he was defending himself very valiantly. He got taken in and captured. Like there's oh, no. I didn't even think about that. There was no explanation. explanation. No. Yeah, he's yeah, just there. He is just there. He's tied up. He's Harry. No, but. I just uh, I just took it to mean you know there was tons of stuff going on that was behind the scenes. You you always have to kind of concede that. I do agree with uh, with Rachel though on the scene with McGonagall and Snape in the Great Hall. I kind of was a little disappointed that kind of went a little astray from the book because that was one well, of my favorite scenes. So how does it happen in the book? Well, Can it you happens in a hallway, memory? doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And yeah. um and 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 Snape and McGonagall kind of duel. Yeah, I, mean, I know they're and, trying to get in the movie. They're trying to push forward to to the big climatic battle well, scene, my, but I don't know. It's just one of my favorite scenes, well, especially yeah, when she got ki- uh, spit in the face by uh, one of the Karos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think what happens right is they're in Ravenclaw Tower, right? And Harry's going there to try and find about out about the diadem, and uh, you know. Something something happens. I'm forgetting exactly how it plays out, but the Carrows show up, then McGonagall shows up, and Harry's under the invisibility cloak, and he ends up doing the Cruciatus curse on one of the Carrows. And then the battle, it's more than just McGonagall, isn't it? There's other professors that show up to duel with Snape as well. And Snape mm-hmm. just runs away. Well, he, in the uh, movie, though, when well, he goes McGonagall... Out, he goes out the window like he did in the Great Hall. Right, he went well, out the window. Well, not the window. It's kind of a wall, isn't it? No, I think he went I out a window. Did. Oh, she does say there was a Snape-shaped hole. All right, that's all I remember from that scene in the in the book. But um, in the movie, no. When 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 Snape first uh, goes to raise his wand, because uh, McGonagall is there with her wand, Snape hesitates. In the movie, you see this very clearly, where he 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 kind of lowers his wand at first, as if he's not sure, and then he he is called to action. So I thought it I thought it was was. Uh, sufficiently effective. No, it was effective, of, of course. I, I, it's just one of my favorite scenes. Ne- yeah, and one more thing, sorry, Andrew. Yeah. Um, the, the the one thing that I that I mentioned, I think it was during the live show, is that with the battle, it was com- it looked completely one sided. You know, talking about why no house elves, it just seemed like they wanted to show that Voldemort was was really winning, and and that you know Harry and his side were so. Um, you know, was in so much trouble because there were no centaurs, there were no villagers from Hogsmeade, there was no uh, house elves, there there was nothing on the good side 
you know, everything was on the bad side. Giants, spiders. Do you think that makes Harry's sacrifice death eaters, more, dementors. more or less important? Well, also with, um, with not really hardcore fans of the books, I mean, if you saw the spiders in the movie, you didn't really know whose side they were on. They were just there. Well, the trio's running from them, so you can surmise that they're well, not best friends. Oh, okay. Next email is from Kimber Hayner, 19 of Portland. Hi, MuggleCast. I really enjoyed the discussion about part two, but I was a little disappointed you guys skipped over some of my favorite scenes. You didn't mention Neville barely at all. He became a hero in this movie. Another great moment in the movie was when the trio are running down to the boathouse and they go through all the chaos in Hogwarts. It is so epic when they are throwing spells everywhere, avoiding the giant and huge spiders. Lavender, Lavender, Lavender Brown's death, the, the Dementors, it all just added to the intensity of the film. I loved it. You guys also didn't mention the dead people in the Great Hall. So sad. Finally, the scene that was actually one of the most heart-touching moments to me, when Harry is going to the Forbidden Forest and say goodbye to Hermione and Ron. It just touched me so much. I really like that added scene. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, those are a lot of other great scenes. There's just so much in the movie that... You just need to do a commentary. You're just going to keep getting these emails, guys. Yeah, commentary. We actually probably need a commentary for this one because there is so much in the battle. Yeah. to get yeah. through but yeah again all good scenes neville um i brought up on the live leaky con show that i am just not a fan of neville and not really a fan <laughs> of matt lewis i just think it was it felt too forced you're really lucky if anna lynch wasn't on at that point yeah i <laughs> wouldn't have said that i don't think she would talk I to us i kind of agree with andrew too though why just uh, in the book really? I, I don't know i just i never really um connected with the whole neville longbottom fan club I mean, okay, yeah, well, he was brave and everything, but I mean, l- l- let's not suck his toes or anything. <laughs> well, do you think that it was one of those things where his destiny, as written by J.K. Rowling, was not necessarily hinted at prior to book seven? Yeah. So, like, book seven, it's like, oh, wow, he is this badass MF. You no, know? I mean, he is, but, he's a true Gryffindor. We, we, we find but, out, but. Yeah. So do you, are you saying that it's even less, uh, kind of important because he's a Gryffindor, so he's supposed to be brave or it's just it's just like that shot of him, you know, climbing back up onto the the the, the walkway after it had burst into another pieces. <laughs> and you know, him him saying him screaming at all the bad guys, yeah, what now or something like that. I just I just couldn't get behind it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well and and also like on the last show we talked about the the moment where he wakes up and all the destructions going on yeah. behind him with this cheesy music playing in the background and i don't know like i wish they would have kept it true to the um true to the book when he confronts voldemort and and that he would have killed this uh nagini right there yeah i Um, i got a question too for you mike after you're done sorry no no i i don't understand why they couldn't have done the whole sorting hat on fire on top of neville's head and Mm -hmm. that that would have been a cool scene yeah it it, it was was definitely more powerful in the book um yeah they uh, guys, answer, answer this for me, because I'm really confused. In the movie, Neville says that he's looking for Luna because he wants to tell her he fancies her. But J.K. Rowling herself said that they never get together. Right. Yeah, that was something that they added. And Matt Lois in the press conferences, he described it as a summer fling. The relationship. Oh, all right, all right, whatever. <laughs> Next email is from Jade, 17 in the UK. Eric, can you read that one? Yep. Uh, Jade says, Hi, I just wanted to comment on what Andrew said in episode 236 about the film's explanation of the prince's tale and how it made us look as though Harry was Snape's son. I think I said that, actually. I went to see the film on the opening day with my mom, who has never read the books but has watched the films, and as soon as the credits came up, she turned to me and said, quote, So is Harry Snape's kid. And after laughing, I looked. I thought about how it looked to somebody who hasn't read the books, and it really wasn't clear. They lost a bit of the backstory, which was disappointing. However, I know that they can't put the whole book into a thirty-minute, one hundred thirty-minute film, but they shouldn't cut important parts. They could have. Sorry, they could have cut the scene where Ron and Hermione are attempting to kill Nagini and explain Snape and Dumbledore's backstory more. This is just my opinion. Thanks for reading. I love your show. Well, so I mean- is. Harry no, they, they made a point the entire series of saying that he looks like James. N- no, Everybody they didn't. Who, or not who meets the... him for the first time, you look like your father, but you have your mother's eyes. Yeah, yeah. In the movies, they haven't though. In the movies, they it's really more you have your mother's eyes. No, no. Well, in in, in Prisoner of Azkaban, they um, you know, Sirius goes, "You look so much like your father." Prisoner of Azkaban was seven years ago. 
Right. Well, you know, the they film didn't... audience may need to be reminded. Whereas I'm saying in, in Deathly Hallows Part 2, it's a little bit overwhelming how Snape... It's just, you know, James Potter is almost non-existent. It's awkward seeing James Potter in the Resurrection Stone scene. Because, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, go get him, son. But it's but it's weird, because all we found out about the whole film is how much Snape loves Lily. And has always loved Lily, and it's been unrequited love. So, it just seemed like Snape, well, Snape was obviously the bigger subplot. Of course you he know, was. Compared he, to James. He's the bigger subplot in, out of any of the, the other uh, adult yeah. characters. It's just odd. I, I thought that that was something that people could get confused about um, watching the film. Um, it, it I don't does think seem like... so, unless it's the first Potter film they saw. I mean, if you follow the movies, it's obvious that, I mean, Snape never, Snape and Lily never even kissed. He just, yeah, he was just but, in love with her. He was infatuated with her from well, the Well, then beginning. there's the added scene in the movie of him cradling, you know, her dead body. Right. And but he wasn't cradling sobbing. Harry. The, but no. that <laughs> makes it look like they were really, but really watching. connected. Yeah, and Harry, baby Harry is watching Snape. Yeah. In the, being like, uh, being like well, is he, that my dad? Well, he can't be like, <laughs> okay, you, you two look like you need to be alone. I'm going to get out of my crib and leave. I'll be downstairs. Yeah, he's, he's not, sort he's, of he's not going anywhere. He's in a crib. I'm going to wait for Hagrid up I, front. I think, um, Jade's mom could have been on something there. New fan fiction. Well, the, and, and how, as if that doesn't exist already. Uh, how irresponsible of Snape to just leave a baby in a in a house that's completely <laughs> destroyed with two dead parents. Right. If he was the real father, that wouldn't have happened. Next email is from Adam, 26, of Alberta, Canada. Hey, Michael Cass, I had a comment about the previous live episode of Michael Cass when you were talking about the way Bellatrix died. I don't think it really had anything to do with Bellatrix, the way she died, but it was completely the spell Molly used. Anyone who has played an RPG like Final Fantasy would know that that spell is Petrify, which turns your enemy into stone and then causes them to shatter. It was a spell we haven't seen before in Potter, but I think it was a nice touch. Too bad she didn't have stone-proof equipped. (laughs) This is very nerdy talk here. I didn't care for the Voldemort-Harry battle, however. What What did Harry do after he beat him? Walk into the school and say, oh, hey, by the way, Voldemort's dead? Just thought you should know. End quote. Um, you know, you, you know, it's a Vada Kedavra though, because it's a green spell. Well, there are two distinct spells. There are two distinct spells. There's one that causes Bellatrix to like die. She gasps, turns almost into a skeleton, almost. And then Molly shoots another spell and Bellatrix explodes. So it's not, it's not one spell, no matter what it is. It's not one spell. To be honest, I I would have preferred seeing Bellatrix's dead body lying against a wall. Like in the book. I think that's more scary. I think scary. several people I, have made that comment, yeah, where it's almost, it's more effective for sure if there's just a dead body and there's no life in it, mm-hmm. you know. That's great she exploded, but then it kind of made a, made the audience a little desensitized it's, when Voldemort Especially exploded. because, yeah, especially because both Voldemort and Bellatrix, Voldemort's already lived without a body. So the fact that he dies, you know, and disintegrates, it, it doesn't really give the finality of him being gone. Exactly. Micah, next email. The next email comes from Sandra12 of Stony Creek, Ontario, and she says, You guys were talking about Aberforth in episode 236. Did Aberforth even have his goat in the movie? I might have (laughs) seen it, but I was probably bracing myself for what was going to go down in the next 40 minutes. Cough, Fred, cough. Thanks for reading. I love you guys. Keep up the great work. I'm not even just saying that for effect. I'd cry for hours if you guys stopped making mobile games. Well, good thing we're not. Um, well, to Micah's disappointment, I don't think the goat was in there at all, right? No. The goat has only made a cameo, I believe, in Order of the Phoenix. Oh, right? so unfortunate. God, hey, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep looking for those film cells that they sell, at, like the ex- exhibition. I'm going to wait until I get, I get that cell. The goat. I'm going to collect. And I'm looking for that scene with Aberforth and the goat from Order of the Phoenix. If anybody has it, can I just bring up something though? On the previous email, was was the spell that Molly did? Was it the same one that that Kingsley does, where he he freezes the the person, right, and then he blasts them out the window? No, because then when Bellatrix have been frozen and then blasted, I mean she kind of freezes, <laughs> but doesn't. Well, get the blasted. second spell was different, no, but no. I think the first one. Oh, no, the first the first spell that she that Molly cast turned her into stone because right. she started to crack, and right. then she just shattered oh. her. Yeah. Is well, that actually, even a spell, though? Is that just for movie effect? That's like, just for movie like, effect. Yeah, like, it's a movie. Absolutely, it's a movie effect. Yeah. But 
why on earth should that mean it isn't real? But uh, <laughs> oh my you know, god! The, but with 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 Kingsley and the uh, with Kingsley and the, the Death Eater real quick going out the window, I thought the Death Eater went out the window because it's it's the it's like velocity. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? So I just thought it was that the spell was some kind of a reversal. You know, the, the Death Eater went out the window in a sense because he was coming through the window when he was hit by the spell. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah. I just feel like it, it pushed him away, but it wasn't necessarily a spell to push him away. Next email is from Chris, 18 of the USA. I was listening to the episode from right after Deathly Hours Part 1 came out and remembered how so many Potter fans were looking forward to seeing what happens in Part 2 with Wormtail, since he didn't die like he was supposed to in Part 1. Uh, How do you all feel about that? I'm still (laughs) disappointed. I mean, I think that would have been an easy thing to kind of add, and I wonder if they shot it, even, or if they just completely took it out. Who was it? Was it one of the press conferences, Andrew, where somebody just admitted it was like David Heyman said, yeah, you're not going to get resolution on the Wormtail thing? Yes. I can't remember when that came to light, but yeah, I remember that being said. But so as of this is a big distinction where as of the books, Wormtail is dead. As of the end of the movies, Wormtail is completely alive. Wormtail is just n- it's a big question. I swear, mark. they're making a sequel. I swear <laughs> they're making a sequel. All the Deathly Hallows are on Hogwarts grounds. You know, except possibly the cloak, but... Next email, Eric. Dominique, 19 of Florida, writes, I was just curious to see what you guys thought about how the movie portrayed, or rather butchered, the Teddy Lupin plot. I mean, in movie five, Remus and Tonks tried to tell everyone they were pregnant, but that didn't work out. So instead, they just suddenly bring it up again in Harry Potter 7 7. part... Yeah, it is movie seven. It's supposed to be movie seven. It says five. Remus and Tonks tried to tell everyone they were pregnant, but that didn't work out. So instead, they just suddenly bring it up again in Harry Potter seven part two and don't even bother putting him in the epilogue later. Why waste the breath to even mention him then? I know it's a small thing, but I'd love to hear what you guys think of it. Cheers and thanks for podcasts. Because you're supposed to have a reason to feel bad that Tonks and uh, Tonks and Lupin are dead. And mm-hmm. that, that was the best they could do. I wish there was more. I agree. There should have been. Um, and, and really, you know, I w- would have loved to have the viewers, more viewers realize, oh, this is kind of full circle with Teddy, you know, losing his parents in war. Just like well, I Harry believe did. They, they did cast him, right? For, for the epilogue. They just never, and maybe they shot scenes. He um, may have been in the background somewhere, but, um, I'm glad they at least kept the, I'm glad they at least kept when Harry was talking to Remus about his son, because I think fans would have been even more upset if they didn't mention it at all. Interestingly, David Yates uh, said when Micah interviewed him that uh, his favorite character was Lupin. So I thought, then I went, when I heard that from David Yates, I went back in my memory and tried to remember if David Yates had ever really catered to Lupin, you know, really given him some screen time, because Lupin is one of those characters where you know, he doesn't have that much of a role after book three, but he's always there and always like supporting. But, you know, I, I just went back and I remembered sort of putting up the, the wedding tent in HP seven part one, there was a good line and in Deathly Hallows part two, when he's, you know, when he's quoting somebody, Kingsley says, who's that? Who said that? And Remus says me, you know, so there are those good moments that, that Lupin has and talking to Harry about his son is one of them. All right. Micah, the final email today, please. Last email from Gonzalo, 26, from Peru. And uh, he says, hi, guys. Second time writer here, long time listener. Good to know we have fans uh, down in South America. That's pretty cool. Um, I wanted to suggest that you talk about the look of the gray lady on the next show and why she didn't look on, I guess he means in the same way uh, as the other ghosts did in other films or why she turned uh, into a blue ball like a Patronus. Um, about talking about strange places to hear your show. This last episode I heard while doing canopy in Cusco on my Blackberry, uh, Peru city of Machu Picchu and other Incan ruins. Nice. Uh, thanks for an awesome show. Hope you guys keep up the excellent job now that the films are over. So we've been heard in the ancient ruins of the Incan people. So wait, was Gonzalo searching for blackberries or Listened on a Blackberry. No, I think he meant he, he listened on, on a Blackberry while setting up a canopy. Oh, I see. If anybody, <laughs> if anybody listens to us while hunting for blackberries, please let please let us know. <laughs> so about the email, the gray lady, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I liked her. I can't remember who's the name. The, the actress who plays her. 
Uh, she I stars don't. on Boardwalk Empire. Somebody could look that up real quick. But yeah, she's a great actress. And I remember Dan commenting on, you know, how, how much of a pleasure it was to work with her. Mm-hmm. Well, on our, on our MuggleCast, I mentioned that as being a contender for my favorite scene in the film. But I also believe I mentioned at the live show at LeakyCon that the Grey Lady, it confused me at first because they did make her look differently than the other ghosts in previous films. They made her look more like she was there. You know, and, and, and it confused me because I thought it was a very similar effect to what they did with the Resurrection Stone, which is possibly an issue because the Resurrection Stone, it doesn't really create ghosts, right? Or when, you know, if everybody in the Resurrection Stone scene was a ghost and they said that they had been here the whole time to Harry, does that mean that they were like wandering around in the Forbidden Forest the whole time as ghosts mm. ever since they died? It didn't make sense to me. Well, they cut out the whole backstory. Man, look, I understand the whole Bloody Baron. Uh, tie-in uh, to to the Grey Lady, but um, as far as looks, I mean, isn't it the same as what they did with Dobby? I mean, Dobby looked completely different in Part 1 than he did in Chamber of Secrets. I think mm-hmm. it's just a matter of technology. Mm. And, and 10 uh, years. And... and what about, did you guys notice, I think it was a, it was a way of, of David Yates or even David Heyman throwing it back to Sorcerer's Stone when she passes through Harry, kind of like Voldemort does in in the first movie. Yeah, I thought that was cool. But I think it also well, showed Myrtle her... Myrtle do that too? Myrtle does that, doesn't she? Um, well, also in Prisoner it, of Azkaban. It's also kind of her anger, I think. Just kind of kind of giving Harry a hit. Uh, obviously, he doesn't feel anything, but I don't know. It adds sort of like a... It shows her anger. Hmm. And, uh, Anyone I look guess up another... who plays her? Oh, Kelly McDonald. Kelly McDonald. Kelly McDonald. Uh, the other thing about ghosts real quick is, you know, you don't need to show them as being completely transparent or mostly transparent to sell the idea that they're a ghost. I think what really sells the idea that they're, they're ghosts, at least in the book, is that they're, they are visible. They are, uh, sort of a physical presence. But in terms of their, their personality, you, like, they are in their own world. I, so I thought Kelly McDonald portrayed that really well, where they don't really interact with living all that much. They're kind of private. So when the Grey Lady says that Luna is kind, you know, Luna's like the only human she speaks to. And, and otherwise she, you know, they're, they're part of this earth, but they're not supposed to be here. And it's, it's this ongoing, uh, you know, conflict that, that exists in the books, I think, that was really kind of uh, well put on the, on the film with the Grey Lady. All right, now, it's time for the lightning round. Tweets, favorite scene. These are submitted by people who follow us on the MuggleCast Twitter account. If you'd like to follow us, just go to twitter.com slash MuggleCast. AlexD336 writes, Favorite scene, when Harry confronted Snape in the Great Hall. The Snape-McGonagall duel right after was great as well. Amy Wilson writes, loved Snape's memory, but my favorite line is Dumbledore's, words are a most inexhaustible form of magic. Great tribute to Joe. I apologize for my poor Dumbledore impression. (laughs) Alicia Perez writes, the prince's tale and when Neville killed Nagini are definitely my favorite scenes. Good on Yates for those two scenes. Amazing. Amelia writes, my favorite Deathly Hallows part two scene was when Neville was fighting against the Death Eaters near the bridge. So funny. Pablo Ruiz the fifth writes, my favorite scene was when McGonagall awakens the statues. Minus the comic relief moment that sucked. Oh. I'm glad, <laughs> glad he agrees with me. Jeffrey Hutton writes, I loved how twisted Griphook was in the mo- movie. He was almost scary. I thought yeah, that he did- was scary. Mm-hmm. He was scary, but I thought that did Griphook a disservice. Um, oh, but he's a he's a uh, why he's bec- goblins he's as supposed a, to be as pretty. A- Right, but goblins as a race are not developed in these films, so we're not, you know we're supposed to understand goblins to be just tired of all the uh, the uh, segregation you know that that wizards give to him. But instead, when you know Griphook says you are a most unusual wizard uh, to Harry, it carries no weight. We don't know why he says that. And furthermore, Griphook is such a villain in this film due to the the, the short time he has on screen that it doesn't actually matter that, that Griphook thinks that what Harry did by burying Dobby is a damn decent thing. Well, doesn't he matter. is kind of a villain. I mean, he screwed them over. In the book, he and does, in the but film. he's he's much deeper, I think, in the books. And so, showing him when he says that line about how it was decent about Dobby, your most unusual wizard, we just don't get that. He's too busy being a villain and creepy. But I mean, do you, do do you expect him to uh, explain why he's an unusual wizard in the movie? 
Wouldn't you think it kind of slowed down the film? Well, no, no. It would have detracted from what where Griphook's character needed to be, which was to betray them in the uh, the vault. That's what I'm saying. So they they needed him to serve that purpose. you know, it's just, it's creepy, whatever. He's a creepy goblin, but it furthers our, uh, I don't want to say racism. It furthers our, our, um, hesitation, our, uh, it just creeps us out, right? He's a creepy, he's creepy looking, and therefore his personality is creepy. That's, that's not, I don't agree with that. That's just something that happens in the film. Jen Tink writes, when the teachers are enchanting the castle. OMG, so perfect. Jesse writes, I really like the King's Cross scene. It was really moving. Bethany writes, I love when Hermione is Bellatrix. I think Helena Bonham Carter did an excellent job of acting how Hermione would have. I agree. Yeah, I, I agree with that. She did do an amazing job. I'd like to see another five or ten minutes of that going on, though, um, in terms of the film. Because you can just tell. We heard what? The set report, right? We, we heard that uh, Helena spent a lot of time following emma mm-hmm. to, to find out mannerisms and stuff just like, same, same. just like dan was seven potters yeah and finally barbara pt writes uh i've got tons of fave scenes but the sequence of the battle with the trio going to the boathouse got me chills outstanding mm-hmm. yeah that was cool all right uh, and to wrap up the show uh, um something missed anything that you guys missed that you wanted to have seen in there in the movie, somebody has something in the dock. Oh, uh, I just I threw that in there, and I think we talked a little bit about it on the last show, but they never made it clear. You know, the movie is called Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, uh, part one and part two, uh, but they never made it clear that Harry was in possession of all three. Um, you know, there's no discussion of the invisibility cloak. Um, the resurrection stone is kind of mentioned in passing, um, but... You know, it's just, it's, it's weird. I mean, he's, he's in control of all three of them. And yet I don't know that it's ever made apparent to the, to the viewer. No, it's definitely not. Um, but I, I don't have anything that was missed that I wanted in there. So I'll just echo what, what Mike has said, if I can, that, uh, you know, you made a point, Micah, where the title of the movie is Deathly Hallows. For that reason and that reason alone, I think they should have explained all three Deathly Hallows. Otherwise, I mean, to me, it was never about the Deathly Hallows. It's about the Horcruxes. But the book really tries to show that Harry has this this choice, right? About he could choose Hallows and then just go keep running from Voldemort. But um, ultimately, you know, he does need to destroy all the Horcruxes. So I never thought it was a choice. But the fact that they didn't explain it in the movie called the Deathly Hallows, I thought was a good enough argument. Well, the, I mean, they explained what they were. I mean, you got it in part one with the tale of the three brothers, and then you got it in part two with with Ollivander. But it, it, what was not made clear was that Harry was the, the one true the, master of death. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, with the, the Deathly Hallows too, I, I was, I was really, really disappointed that Harry didn't mend his wand back. Mm. I really thought that was a big thing they should have kept in the movie. And I, for closure, closure well, with the wand. Yeah, closure. I mean, he snapped the wand in half and threw it over the bridge. Okay, that's fine. That's dramatic. But dude, he well, he, had, he needed he to had mend Draco's. his. Wand. Yeah, Draco's wand, but it's not his wand. He, he well, it said- is though. In the beginning of the movie, when Ollivander says that you know its allegiance may have changed, it is Harry's wand now. But you know, it's not Harry's. Harry's is wand. Harry himself I, said I, I, in the not book the one that he's had. That's in the, the one that he previously. loves. Right. Yes, but so why if it's not, if Harry doesn't have his own Phoenix Core wand, why is Voldemort and him doing the 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 Priori Incantata, like you know the the wand binding, uh, red versus green light shooting out of their wall? Why does that happen? If, uh, we if can, uh, not, that, the, well, why does, why does that happen be- with Voldemort and Dumbledore and Order of the Phoenix? That's just n- in- yeah. incorrect canon. Yeah. Why does it happen with Arthur and a Death Eater? Earlier in the why did we see so many of it happening in the courtyard? It's well, I mean, just, I guess well, there's a difference. For, for a fact. I guess there's yeah a difference between priority and cantatum when ghosts show up. You know, that's actually right, isn't that priority and cantatum? Uh, as opposed to just the green and light versus the red light. But still, it, it's just it, previously it had been used to show the connection between Harry and Voldemort. And I guess regardless of what wand they have, they still have that connection. Well, it's also because the elder wand is never going to betray its true master, right? 
It's never going to betray Harry, so it's not going to be able to cast a spell against That's a good point. Well, thanks, everyone, who sent in emails and tweets for today's show. We really appreciate it. It was a fan-powered show. We couldn't do it without you. <laughs> with old, with some old men. With some cranky old geezers. Don't forget, MuggleCast.com has all the information you need about this wonderful podcast program that we inject into your ears and hope <laughs> you become addicted. Uh, if you visit, visit MuggleCast.com at the top, you can click on Contact and fill out the feedback form to get in touch with us. Or... Just head over to the right side of the page, and from there, you can subscribe and review us on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter, which is twitter.com slash mugglecast. You can like us on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash mugglecast. Or you can follow us on Tumblr, which is mugglecast.tumblr.com. I see the top image on the um, mugglecast Tumblr right now is Matt Britton's No Hate image. Really? Look at you, Matt, making a statement. God, I'm That's something. That is something. You're very white. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so MuggleCast.com has all the information that you need. Our next episode, as previously uh, reported, will be August 21st, and hopefully we'll all be in Pottermore by then. I imagine there's going to be endless amounts of stuff to talk about. It may, ha- it may have to be, uh, you know, some people want a 12-hour show, another 12-hour show. That may be a 12-hour show. <laughs> of us just going through everything because there's going to be a lot and uh what's this a rumor about uh yeah. will dunn one of the actors in the epilogue scene yeah. what's this about that's a is it a rumor i don't know i was gonna say it as fact but <laughs> oh well i don't know what is it First no uh will dunn wanted to uh to come on the show and talk a little bit about the epilogue filming that's of the fact. epilogue jack it is a fact. Cool. Um, so hopefully for our next episode, episode 238, uh, he'll come on maybe uh, some of the other uh, actors, kid actors that were in the uh, the epilogue as well. So Very good. Look forward to that. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Mike Tannenbaum. And I'm Matt Britton. We'll see you next time with Will Dunn and Pondermore Talk for episode 238. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.